You're listening to the Eyes on Washington podcast, Holland and Knight's overarching public policy and regulation podcast series. Our public policy and regulation group has an ideal combination of lawyers and lobbyists with a comprehensive understanding of the federal policy and regulatory process. This series will shine a light on the shifting dynamics of governmental entities and the ensuing changes in economic or political policies, laws, and regulations that can have a critical impact on the health and future of your business. Well, welcome. I'm Tom Davis, and I'm here with Chris Armstrong to talk about federal investigations in the next Congress. I was chairman of the House Oversight and Government Reform Committee for two years, ranking member for two years and a subcommittee chairman for eight years, uh, and have extensive uh, experience in the investigatory space. And I'm here with Chris Armstrong, who is a uh, lead investigator uh, over on the Senate side. And Chris, I'll turn it over to you just to talk, talk a little bit about your experience. And then I thought we could go through some of the issues we see coming up this year with a very changed Congress. That sounds great. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, I was the chief oversight counsel uh, under uh, Orrin Hatch over on finance. And then before that, I, I'd worked in Ways and Means as a oversight counsel. And um, I've now been here at Holland and Knight for about four years now. Excited to have this conversation with you, Tom. So, Chris, it looks to me with the Republicans now taking the gavels in the House, all of a sudden the whole oversight rule shifts from where it was in the last Congress. Some, breathe, uh, some businesses can breathe easier. Uh, some are going to be more at risk. And I've jotted down just a few things and want to get your reaction to them. Uh, and, and note that the Senate, we're waiting at this point for what happens next Tuesday. This is uh, recorded a week before the Tuesday runoff in Georgia. Should the Democrats get 51 votes in the Senate, doesn't that change uh, basically uh, the dynamics for Senate investigations versus 50 votes? It does indeed. You know, under the current agreement, if there is a split in the Senate, each committee has kind of even split in terms of like member numbers. If the Democrats win in uh, Georgia, then you know on the committees, especially the oversight you know bodies, you know at that point, you know they have a majority of members, and so it's it's easier to you know you know issue subpoenas. It's easier to issue reports, and that's I think it makes a big difference in the Senate. You know, generally, if you're under investigation or even if you're collateral damage in an investigation, when you get an invitation from committees to come testify, um, you, you know, it's not a mandate at that point. But not showing up can cause you some embarrassment, can anger the committee, can lead to other things. But I've had, uh, Chris, as I know you have, several instances where we've advised the clients not to come. Um, sometimes right. the committee will move off to the next target. Uh, sometimes they will double down but they would have to issue a subpoena. And on the House side, issuing a subpoena, even if you don't show, then they have to issue a contempt motion. They've got to take it through the committee, through the House floor. You can see in a 50-50 Senate, they're never going to get on a split vote in the House. In a party line vote, that can happen. It doesn't happen very often. And even when it happens, sometimes it doesn't mean anything because enforcement from that has traditionally been with the executive branch, which belongs to uh, the Democrats. So you've had uh, President Bush's chief of staff. You've had Eric Holder, for example. You had Harriet Myers, who was Bush's counsel. All uh, were held in contempt of Congress, and there was no consequence for them because there was no enforcement mechanism. But in this next Congress, there is something called inherent contempt, where Congress on its own can find people. They can even imprison them. It hasn't happened for almost 100 years. 
But there are authorities that I know uh, Republicans will look at if they get uh, resistance uh, from the administration. And I wonder, Chris, if you have any perspective on that. It would be a big change, right? You know, I, I believe the last time Congress used inherent contempt it was during the Teapot scandal. And if I recall correctly, they imprisoned the uh, individual inside of the Willard Hotel, which is not the worst thing in the world. It's, yeah, I doubt that would happen this time. The, the challenge you have, though, if you explore that option, is the politics of it can get really kind of ugly, I think, really, really quickly. You know, if the Congress is out there actually uh, say arresting people uh, and, you know, and holding them, if that's seen publicly as a kind of overreach, I think it gets um, it has a lot of risk, although it is a power you know, Congress has, hasn't been used in 100 years. Now, I think that's more important if you're in, if, you know, in terms of kind of oversight of the Biden administration. I think it's less important in terms of oversight investigations of the private sector because, you know, the odds of a private company, you know, getting to the point of, you know, being held in contempt, you know, it's so rare because the incentives, if I'm, uh, especially if I'm a public company, are to, you know, find a way to, either negotiate or have some sort of accommodation. And so, you know, ideally doesn't end up there. But if it is the power they have, there's no question about it. Well, and I think particularly when you're going after the administration on some of the issues, they're going to be really close to the president's heart. They've got to see what kind of resistance they meet before they exercise that. But I know it's right. something that's being explored. While the Republicans in the House will be going after the Biden administration, uh, certainly looking at Hunter Biden's laptop and, and the, the, what they consider a treasure trove that goes there. Democrats, uh, if they control, if they have 51 votes in the Senate, can go after the Trump administration and his business dealings as well. Well, let me add one part on that as well. Is the A lot of people are assuming, I think, that oversight and expectations in the House will be focused kind of only on the administration or on kind of you know, Hunter Biden issues. And a part of that is because of the expectation that Republicans are hesitant to do, you know, oversight of the private sector. You know, I, I think those days are long gone. And I think the appetite to do oversight of, I'll say, big tech, um, anything towards kind of ESG or China is, I think, substantial. And so I expect Republicans will do a lot of oversight in the private sector next year. Yeah, and let me, Chris, let me just roll down a few things that I think uh, private business uh, needs to be wary of in terms of Republican oversight. First of all, is what something the Republicans would consider woke CEOs and woke cultures. Uh, Major League Baseball canceling the All Star game in Georgia, um, you know, after they changed their voting rules and, and issues like that. Uh, Disney, for example, rebelling at uh, Florida's law. Uh, I think a second would be the climate issue that you, you can see in the Senate, Democrats going one way on climate change, uh, trying to accent the changes that are going on in climate and what are we doing about it. And on the other hand, Republicans going after ESG and some of these other issues. Remember, from coal states, uh, from uh, the oil patch, these tend to be Republican areas that have taken a different uh, perspective on the climate issue. On China I, and, and even Russia. Uh, the whole uh, sanctions issue, uh, trade issues with these. Uh, I think companies in that space are at risk. 
Um, we look at the free speech online issues. This is being highlighted with Elon Musk right now and Twitter and the way Apple is probing back and forth. Um, I think this is a ripe target at this point for uh, House Republicans uh, to look after, particularly the Judiciary Committee. Uh, so that would be just a few things I'd look at uh, before we even get to border inflation and those kind of things. Democrats, on the other hand, they're going to be on the free speech online. They're going to be concerned about what they consider to be hate speech and true speech, falsehoods and that kind of thing, taking a completely different tack. Uh, I could see hearings in different days with different companies up there where the Senate's taking one tack and the House a different one. You're looking at regulatory enforcement uh, versus regulatory overreach. Is this going to be a difference between the, the houses on that kind of thing? So I, I think companies in that space need to be worried. And we haven't even gotten to the whole COVID issue in terms of COVID right. profiteers. Uh, and, and I think particularly with Democrats taking the Senate, if they take that looking at that, it, it's going to be right in their target and their sweet spot, particularly since um, some of the original bills originated under Trump. Um, Democrats on the, I mean, Republicans on the other hand are likely to look at the origins of COVID and that kind of thing. But I think everybody's going to look at, you know, who abused the system? Why wasn't there more oversight? And companies that were in that space need to be wary and ahead of the curve. I'll add one more on that. And I, I think that's exactly right. Is if you're in a COVID space, if you're in kind of a large bank, there are attacks that will come your way. Although because Republicans and Democrats are approaching it from opposite positions. It's uh, right. It's a bit like being hit from both sides, and so that's that's I think an incredibly challenging environment if you're a private yes. company. Just being in that space gives you a certain level of vulnerability, and I think it's worth sometimes staying ahead of the curve, figuring out where the committees are going. Uh, obviously, in, in in that particular uh, uh, space, you look at the Judiciary Committee under Jim Jordan. And the oversight committee under Jim Cover on the on the House side, uh, just focusing on some of those issues. Let me ask you. Uh, you know, I recall, you know, as a oversight counsel, you know, I drafted a lot of letters. I I staffed a lot of hearings, and you know, I would draw topics. You know, the the, the question I get a lot is how do how do kind of oversight innovations kind of come about? And uh, as a uh, staffer, you know. I would read something in the media. I talked to a whistleblower. You know, there's other things that are obvious. Uh, as a chairman, though, how do you have, you know, the process in terms of actually deciding all the hearing on X, Y, or Z, or all issue a subpoena? Explain what that process is like. Yeah, good question. So let's start with at the beginning of each Congress, you kind of draw up a list. Uh, I did an, an oversight and it's being done now. These are the issues that we intend to investigate over time. You kind of outline them, assign it to your staff. And remember, the staff ratios in the House switch from two to one Democrat to two to one Republican. Uh, there'll be a huge uh, cultural change on that committee in the way they react. Um, and so you have this list and you try to go about methodically looking at how we're going to get at uh, the answers we want to get at that we want and the questions we want to ask. After that, there is a reactive phase of that. If there's a bad article in the newspaper, sometimes the committees at that point uh, are very reactive to what they see in the press. So part of a strategy, if you see a problem coming, is to keep things out of the mainstream press, because that puts a lot of eyes on it. And Congress, within a week, uh, can react to something they see in the press that might be a good hearing, that might be good headlines. And many times there's no goal in this except simply to get on camera. 
and show you're advocating for the people or, or whatever. If you have a problem and you see it, its potential, you're better off getting ahead of it, finding out, keeping it out of the press if you can, because that's less pressure on the committee to move ahead with an investigation. Does that kind of answer your question, Chris? Absolutely. No, that's great. And I, I then kind of transition to the issue of, all right, if you know, I'm, a, I'm a company or I'm a entity and I, I get a letter and it's a oversight letter, you know, what do I do now? And I, I, I look at this in terms of the kind of errors and how you respond is to treat it as if it's a lobbying issue, right? It's a pure lobbying issue. And as long as you have, you know, contact, you know, I know the chair or, you know, the staff, I can sort of work my way out of this investigation. And I think that almost, almost never works. On the other side of the spectrum, I've seen recipients treated as, as if it's a uh, executive branch investigation and it, it's to be, you know, treated as, as if it's the FBI or, or it's justice, I should say. Is that, are those errors in your mind or kind of, is there, is there yeah. a happy middle? So Chris, a client comes to me and they've got a potential problem. First thing you want to ask is, are you worried about any criminal liability coming out of this hearing if you go up there? Uh, is there a crime committed? And if that's so, and Congress starts asking questions, how do we seal that off and protect that from coming? Uh, secondly, is, is the result of my client getting a subpoena, is there any legislation that is likely to result that could, in fact, uh, change the rules of the game for my client and alter their business plan significantly. And then the third factor, if it's neither of those two, is what's the brand damage uh, that, or sometimes brand enhancement uh, from coming before a committee and testifying. Uh, there are many cases where we will get a client in front of a committee to show their expertise and, and uh, that can be a brand enhancement. But more often than not, you get a request from the committee that can lead to a subpoena from the committee to your client and you worry about the resulting brand damage of being called before a congressional committee. And you, as unpleasant as that may be, it be, may be more unpleasant not to show up or if you're subpoenaed not to show up. And I've had cases where we've been able to keep our client uh, from being subpoenaed uh, or in some cases making sure that their deposition is taken in private and they're kept out of public view. Uh, we have had uh, cases where I have just kept my uh, clients offshore where they couldn't be served with a subpoena. Uh, and you let the committee know you're not going to find this guy, and uh, pursuing it doesn't lead you to anything. It's just something else we can give you. There's no two cases that are exactly alike, uh, but the rules exactly. in Congress are not rules in court. Uh, you don't get the same procedural protections that you get in a court of law, and so it's important that you have counsel or somebody who understands how these works and can talk to the people that are running the investigation to try to minimize uh, any damage to the client. And it's important to kind of you know, add as well, the vast majority of oversight on the Hill, you know, does not involve a subpoena, right? A subpoena is a relatively rare thing. The vast majority of investigations are often ones you never hear about in the media, right? It's a letter, you know, the council goes in and, he talks about the scope of the letter, the kind of timeline of the response. Um, and then it is after you respond, it essentially goes away. That's, I would say, kind of 80 or 90% of the investigations that I handle. Um, you know, if it comes to a subpoena, if it comes to a hearing, 
obviously there's a whole additional set of challenges, but at the same time, a subpoena is not a magic wand, right? A subpoena until it's in court, it doesn't have the power, uh, you know, it, it can't essentially compel you to, to, you know, do anything. That said, it has a lot of PR risk. Uh, obviously nobody wants a subpoena, especially if you're a public entity, it looks very bad if, you know, you know, if you get a subpoena. And so this is all, it's such a tough area and it's kind of unlike any other space. It's, that's why counsel who is kind of in the weeds on all these issues is, is I think really, really important. Yeah, the communications with the committee, if you're able to understand what they want and how they can get their information while minimizing uh, the risk and damage to your client or their brand. Th those are the kind of things that are very important. And without that communication, sometimes things can fall apart pretty quickly. And there are times when uh, they want to get a piece of flesh from your client. You don't want them to get it and you get into hardball situations. Uh, you like to avoid those. But if you do, there are a number of ways around it. Let me just briefly explain some of them to you. Um, number one is you can keep your client out of the jurisdiction. You can keep them offshore or not have them serve and not accept service as their lawyer on behalf of them. At that point, it may be embarrassing that Congress is subpoenaed they can't find them, but they can't compel them to answer. And in a criminal, if you see potential criminal proceeding or something like that, I think mean, that's one outcome that you want to look at. Secondly, if it's going to go to the committee, you might give them, try to give them the information they want without involving your client. Or if your client is going to be there on the rostrum, see if you can get two or three other companies up there to kind of take the pressure off of your companies. If that's unavoidable and you go to a hearing and your client is on the menu, you want to make sure you have talked to some members that are going to be sympathetic to your cause. They can put statements in the record. They can ask rehabilitating questions along the way. And the goal in those cases is at worst to make this a he said, she said hearing. I have seen uh, stock prices of companies go up and down uh, significantly because of a congressional hearing or sometimes a potential congressional hearing. So as soon as you have an inkling that you might uh, be getting called up there to go before Congress, it's important to engage counsel and try to minimize those risk factors uh, to the individuals and the companies involved. Absolutely agree. I would add, you know, it's also important, and I've, I've obviously worked with you on this a lot, Tom, the importance of hearing prep. You know, if, if, you know, if I'm a witness who is appearing at a hearing, the importance of preparing the right way and having specifically mock hearings, having practice at answering the toughest possible questions over and over, it's not fun for anybody, although it really, really helped. And, you know, I've been hearing perhaps, you know, turn a, a witness who was terrified of, kind of actually testifying into just a ace witness. And it's, it's a lot of work, although I think it's absolutely worth it. And, you know, otherwise, I think it's always very dangerous to testify, although sometimes it's unavoidable. Right. And, and Chris, sometimes for your hearing prep, you're better off in a deposition behind closed doors where they can have counsel, if that's right. I mean, keeping them out of the spotlight where they're the target. But if they are, it's not just prep of your witness. It's also prep of the members so that you have uh, some members on your side. Remember, uh, both party, both the houses operate under a five-minute rule where they go back and forth between the parties asking questions. And if somebody has pillared your, um, your client, 
you can move back to the other side and maybe have somebody come in and rehabilitate those questions, uh, which makes it more of a he said, she said hearing, which is sometimes the best you're going to get out of these things if you're on defense. But it's better than going up there, not being prepared and just being a punching bag for, for both parties. Remember, at hearings, not every member attends every hearing. And uh, you may have people that would agree with you, but they're going to another hearing. They have a markup somewhere else. Uh, and, and making sure that you have members that are prepped on your side and that they show up for the hearing is very, very important. And that doesn't just happen automatically. Let's wind down with a topic that, that is on to the minds of a lot of CEOs out there is, is you know, I'm in a company that could become a target of a, you know, kind of oversight in the House or the Senate. Obviously, the Congress hasn't started yet. It starts early next year. But, you know, you know, what can I do right now to either minimize risk or to, uh, you know, if it happens, actually be ready for it? So, Chris, let's say you're ABC company and you come to me and you say, we've got a problem. First thing I want to do is where you're located. You know your local congressman, et cetera, et cetera. Do you have any relationships on there that the company has prior to coming to see us? If you do, you'd like to go to that member and, and talk them into being your hometown advocate. Even if they're not on the committee, they can talk to the chairman and say, look, take it easy on these guys. These are a big employer in my district where they mean a lot. And that member pressure on the committee chairman or, or the subcommittee chairman, as the case may be, or whoever's got the gavel, can, can be an important influencer. Secondly, I think, Chris, we would take them up to see the staff and figure out where is the staff going with this? What, what is the purpose of this hearing? What are they trying to get at? Can they get their information in a way other than calling my client before the committee uh, in a public setting? And you wanna explore those. Uh, third, I always try to see if I can meet with the uh, committee chairman and if you strike out there, of course, then with the ranking member uh, and try to find, uh, if things are going south, try to find some advocates on that committee that can at least rehabilitate my client uh, if the going gets very tough and questions from the, uh, the, the committee with the gavel. So all of these are measures you have to take. And as you prep your witness for this, you wanna make sure that uh, your side on the, the members of, on, the, on the rostrum who may be sympathetic to you are there at the hearing and also understand the issue and can combat some of the things the other side's saying. Uh, the, the good news about it, it makes this a he said, she said hearing that no two cases are alike, but it's important to get counsel early because sometimes when clients have come to us, uh, the ball has started rolling and the committee has already decided to have a hearing or a couple members have already made up their mind in terms of the direction they wanna go or the committee staff, is, their attitude has hardened. And had we been in to see them prior to this, we could have moved them in a different direction. So if, if you take away anything from this, it's see someone get counsel early, before the thing blows up, we used to have a saying, don't let your monkeys turn into gorillas. So I've seen a monkey turn into King Kong just because they put it off, thought it would go away, thought they could do this on the cheap, and the thing started to blossom and questions start getting asked. Remember, many of these hearings come from competitors uh, who are using the committee basically to help their competitive advantage. We see this many times with trial lawyers who are actually feeding questions uh, to members of the committee to ask. Uh, that they can then be regurgitated in some manage in a court proceeding. Uh, this is not your traditional legal proceeding with appropriate safeguards. This is, uh, it has rules unto its own. 
And it's important that we get experienced people in those cases to represent us who understand that change landscape, which is nothing like I think was envisioned or you read about in your government books. Yeah, all I would add to that is the importance of counsel actually is in this area and is expert in you know to this area because it is so unique. You talk about its own rules. It also has its own lack of rules, right? Like you know, there's a lot of guardrails, as you said, that just aren't here. And so the importance of you know actually knowing the members and the staff and you know exactly like where the rules are and where they aren't. It's all about negotiation, and so that's that's I think that's that's I think a top takeaway that I would I would I would recommend from this. I was going to say it's a very changed landscape from the last Congress in terms of the priorities for Congress to uh, for oversight um, and understanding where this where this Congress is going, where they're likely to go, and staying ahead of the curve is I think would be very important uh, for companies who face uh, potential investigations. And with that, we'll wrap up. Everybody, thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Eyes on Washington podcast, brought to you by Holland and Knight's Public Policy and Regulation Group. For more information on our Public Policy and Regulation Group, please visit hklaw.com slash PPR.